Let's come to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. So if you guys see that bird moving about, just pay no, pay no mind. Luke 7, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 23 this morning. But I'd like to begin reading verse 28, actually. So now we're going to turn our attention for a brief moment to John the Baptist. Of course, we've been looking at the life of Christ and the miracles he's been doing. And so far in this chapter, he has healed the centurion's servant. And then we also saw him raise the widow's son from the dead, these great miracles. And uh, these, the word of these miracles got back to John. But what you see in the passage is that John's faith gets rattled. His faith gets rattled. And I don't know about you, you don't have to be sitting in prison. John was in prison. You can be sitting in church and your faith can get rattled. Now verse number 28 Luke 7 and 28, Jesus says this about John, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So in just a few minutes here, we'll talk about this great man, John the Baptist, and how his faith got rattled. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Father, help us today. We want to push out all the distractions of, of the day and of the week. We want to focus in on what you have to say to us through your preserved and perfect word. Lord, we thank you that even now you, you do take time to come and meet with us. And Lord, uh, you said that you stand at the door and knock, so we're opening the door and asking you to please come in and sup with us and allow us to sup with you. Help me as I preach, and I pray give all of us ears to hear. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A man like John the Baptist, you would barely think, after this great compliment coming from Jesus, among those that are born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John. What, what high praise, but even a man such as that could be tempted with doubt. You can see this in Luke 7, verses 19 and 20, which we'll cover more in depth in a moment. But at the end of those verses, Art thou he that should come? Look we for another. Sometimes your faith gets rattled. And guys, there's not one of us in this building today that's not above this. It can happen to anybody. It can happen any time in your life. It doesn't matter that you've been serving God as John had been doing faithfully for years. Even a man such as that, the faith can get rattled. The Bible says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You say, but not me, Lord. Okay, Peter. Though all men be offended, yet will not I. Okay, Peter. You might be madly in love with the Lord today. And your faith can be strong today. There's no doubt that John the Baptist had a strong faith. Amen? He saw heaven open. He saw the Holy Spirit come down as a dove. He heard the Father speaking from heaven. And yet even his faith gets rattled. So today's sermon, I'm calling it When Faith Gets Rattled. And I want you to know this from the beginning. Right? I don't want, this isn't like a surprising point that I want to hold on to. I want to say this from the beginning. That even though your faith might be rattled, please do not think that that means Jesus is now against you. And, and the reason I say that is because sometimes when we're going through a rough time and our faith takes a knock, we start to beat ourselves up and think, well, if I were really a good Christian, I wouldn't have these doubts. 
And if I were a strong believer, I wouldn't be going through such tough times and my faith wouldn't struggle if I were a good follower of God. I want you to see that Jesus looks at the bigger picture. He does not look at just one moment or one day of your life and then make all the judgment about you based on that one bad day. Thank God for that. He looks at the big picture. Jesus knows that John was not an insincere distant follower who was seeking to make excuses and find reasons not to do things. Some people rattle their own faith because they just don't want to do everything that they know Jesus requires them to do. And therefore, they're always finding a reason. Well, what about this? And what about that? And this is, you know, if so-and-so did this, and if, that did, if this would change, then I would... There's always a reason. They're rattling their own faith. They're giving themselves reasons to doubt whether or not they should be obedient and faithful. But that's not John's case. Jesus knows that's not what John is doing. John is a sincere worshiper who had a bad day. He's a sincere man of God, the greatest born among women. And he is just having a rough time because he's, he's sitting in a prison. He's been preaching his whole life, as far as we can tell, his whole adult life at least. And now a few question marks have started to race through his mind. Jesus has not condemned him. Jesus is still for him. Jesus is rooting for him. And if your faith is rattled and you're struggling this morning, you need to know that if you're sincerely trying, if you're asking some questions, not because you're trying to find a way out, but trying to make sense of what you're going through, Jesus is not against you. Reading this passage, knowing that John had his faith rattled, please do not take this to mean, well, it's okay if I doubt. No, that's not okay. But, but know that it's not the end of you and that even the best of us have these moments when our faith gets rattled. So let's answer this question today. What would rattle your faith? What are some potential things that would rattle it? And, and what could we do to protect ourselves or help ourselves through those rattled moments We'll start at verse number 18. It says, And the disciples of John showed him of all these things. Now these are the the centurion's servant, the widow of Nain's son. John still has disciples. He still has people that, can I say, come to his church. Right? He's preaching in one little location on the other side of the River Jordan. And as he preaches, he's been telling people, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Right? But because they live in his area... They fellowship with John. So it's not like it's a separate church with different belief system or anything like that. It's just people that know John and fellowship together with John. And as they hear these things, John has been arrested. You remember what happened. He stood up to Herod. And he told Herod, he pointed that bony preacher finger right at Herod and said, it is not lawful for thee to have her because Herod had taken his brother Philip's wife. He was living in adultery. And that preacher stood up right to the king and said, that's not right. And he was sitting in prison as a result. But even in that condition, the Bible says John's disciples come and tell him, hey, preacher, guess what we heard at church today? Guess what we heard? We heard that that, your cousin, Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, and they believed that, by the way. You'll see that in the next couple of verses. They believed that. They were on board with it. But these guys were coming back and telling John, this is what we've been hearing and seeing about the Lord. So the first thing I want to say is this. What would rattle your faith? Forsaking 
Now, this might seem a bit strange, but let, let me go with this. Forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. That would weaken your faith. Now, now you say, but John did not forsake the assembling together. You're right. John did not choose to do that. But he is no longer able to assemble with other believers like he normally would. And you cannot tell me that sitting in a prison separated from all the other believers did not affect him to some extent. Let's say it like this. It didn't help his faith. Being separate from all the other believers and all the other disciples, taking yourself away from the momentum that the Spirit of God is creating in a certain environment, it does not help you to pull away from that. It can only help you to get in on that. John, this is not by his choice. He has to hear about it from somebody else. But at, hey, he wants that. Don't you know that he's told his disciples, if you hear anything, if you hear Jesus preaching a sermon, this is 2,000 years ago YouTube. <laughs> this is like you. You are the tube. You come and tell me what's going on. And John didn't have a choice. And, and let me say this quickly and make sure you understand it. If you don't have a choice, if you are sick, if there is an emergency, if you are in prison for preaching the gospel you get a free pass. You don't have to come. <laughs> then if all you have is YouTube, praise God, at least you're following along as best you can. You understand? But that's not, listen, that's not what happens so many times today. Now we've gotten to the point where people choose willingly to skip church because they know it's recorded. I remember back in the day, you know, when, when VCRs were a thing. How many, of you, how many of you remember VCRs and VHS tapes? Oh, there's so many young people in the church today. Amen. You stick that tape in and, and trying to figure out how to set up the recording mechanism on the VCR, you were like a genius if you could figure out how to set the timer to, so that it could, pro I would end up recording the most nonsense programs because I'd never get the time right on those things. But, but, there was a show that would come on and you wanted to tape the show, right, so that you could watch it on your own time because you had more important things to do. Amen? So you'd tape the show because that wasn't nearly as important as those other things you had to do. Now we've turned it around. We tape church. We record that so we can go to the other things we want to do. And then we do church whenever we feel like it. And while I'm preaching on that, let me just make the terminology very clear. Watching a sermon on YouTube is not church. It is just that. It is watching a sermon on YouTube that is not assembling together. Let me take it even another step. Sitting in the living room with your family watching the sermon is not assembling together. You have assembled your family in the living room around the TV. That is not what the Bible says when it talks about forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's just a family coming together in your home. And I'm glad that you do that. But that's not assembling together as we read about it in the New Testament. We must not underestimate the value of assembling together. The loneliness and the inactivity of not being a part of a local church it can weaken your faith so that the smallest of things can rattle it. Even if you are faithful, John was as faithful as you can get. His faith got rattled. Now just imagine if he were to pull away from everybody else. 
for weeks and months even. John didn't have a choice. He couldn't be as involved as he once was. Now, what's your, what's your reason? The Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, listen to this part, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Maybe the problem is you don't see the day approaching. Maybe you're not waiting and watching for the Lord to come back. Maybe you're waiting and watching for the stock market to go up and down. Maybe you're waiting and watching for some promotion to come, for some other recognition in this world, for some secular advancement. Maybe your eyes are not where they need to be. But the Bible says to assemble together so much the more. This, this is not to help the church, it's to help you. You can only strengthen yourself and the church by being faithful. It says, and so much the more. So let me challenge you with this this morning. Sunday morning service is not enough. Amen. When does faith get rattled? When you do not expose yourself to as much Bible preaching, teaching, and atmosphere and fellowship as you possibly can. It can only strengthen your faith to get as involved as you possibly can be. When you are pulled away from it, in John's case, it wasn't his fault. For a lot of people, it is your choice. You choose to do something else. You have chosen to fill your schedule with other things. And when it is your choice and you pull away, you are only weakening yourself. You say, but not me, preacher. I still love the Lord. I'm still walking with God. Okay, Peter. Okay, I know it, it, won't, it won't affect you. I guarantee John, being isolated in that prison, sitting there in his prison cell, did not help his faith. I'm not saying it's the sole reason for his faith getting rattled, but it did not help his faith. Sunday morning, coming to 1030, main service, not enough. The Bible says, and so much the more. Coming to church four times in a month, not enough. You need more. We got a midweek service. You need that. Amen. Church, you need that. You need that. I'm talking to you. You, you, you. I can't get to all the yous. You, yalla. You need that. I need that. Amen. We need that. Wouldn't hurt some of you to sign up for Bible school. You say, I'm not going to be a preacher or a missionary. And? This would just strengthen your faith. Can you give me a reason why it's bad for you? Why would that be a bad idea? Why would that be a wrong thing? You know what A.W. Tozer said? He said, before a person pulls away from God, they always pull away from the people of God. There's a lot of truth in that. Because you start in every service, every possible service you can be at, you're there. You're there with the people of God. And then you drop one service. And then you drop another service. And then you're just with the main service. And then all of a sudden you don't come to all of those. And then before you know it, just one step at a time, off you go. You'll pull away from the people of God before you pull away from God. It's not John's choice here, but I promise him sitting in prison and not out there with the other disciples, it didn't help his faith. Your faith can get rattled when you're not assembling together. Verse 19 and 20, we'll see another thing. We'll do a little Bible study here. Verse 19, And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? 
When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? So just picture in your mind, John is sitting in his cell for now weeks and months. The disciples come and tell him this good news. And John, rather than just rejoicing, he's struggling. He has questions, honest questions. You see, John has not fallen into a state of unbelief. Do you see that? He, he has not forsaken the faith, but he has some questions. Are you the one? Should we? Look we for another. You see, these disciples that he's sending to, to ask Jesus, they are also believers in Jesus. They know that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what they've been led to believe. They're grounded in that, but now something is rattling John, and he's saying, guys, go ask Jesus about this. Would any of you dare say that, well, I, let me say it this way. I think we'd all agree that John knew his Bible. When John says, look we for another, you know what he means by that, right? The Jews have been looking for their Messiah for over a thousand years based on what the Bible had promised them. They knew in the Scriptures a Messiah would come, a Savior would come, and they have been looking for Him. John was well-versed in his Bible. When they asked him one time, Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you that prophet? Are you the Christ? He said, No. And he quoted Isaiah. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. John quoted from the prophet Isaiah. I'd like for you to hold the book, the book of Luke. Get Isaiah chapter 35. And let's do a little bit of Bible study this morning. Just, I'm just going to read a handful of verses with you. And I want you to see what John was aware of. So my second point, another thing that will rattle your faith, is having false expectations. If you forsake the assembling, that will rattle your faith. That will weaken your faith. If you have false expectations of what God will do, that can also rattle your faith. John's sitting in prison, and he knows his Bible. That, by the way, will anchor your faith. That will help your faith. But you're going to see here that John, knowing what was in the Old Testament, was expecting God to do something that God was not ready to do just yet. So let's take a look at it. Isaiah 35, let's read verse number 3 and on from there. It says here, Isaiah 35, 3, Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. John is aware of this. He knows the book of Isaiah. This is part of the reason, part of the reason, John believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was fulfilling these things. So this passage is saying, if you're discouraged, take courage. God is going to come and bring down vengeance on your enemies. Jesus had been opening the eyes of the blind and unstopping the ears of the deaf, but he hadn't brought down God's vengeance on all the enemies yet. And John knew this. Come to chapter 42. Isaiah 42 and verse number 6. This great chapter about God's servant who is the Messiah, the, the Lord Jesus, 
In verse 6, it says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. That's Jesus. Now watch verse 7 and 8. To bring, or verse 7 rather, to bring, uh, I'm sorry, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. John knows his Bible. Yes? You believe that? You believe John knows his Bible? Does John know that verse is in the Bible? That when the Messiah comes, verse 6, what's, what's something the Messiah will do? He will open the eyes of the blind and open the prison house so the prisoner can come out. John's a prisoner. He's looking at that going, but God, but, but, you, but God, you said, you said when the Messiah comes, you would, what about me, God? What about me? Look at chapter 49. Forty-nine, verse eight. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages that thou mayest say to the prisoners, here's what the Messiah will say, go forth to them that sit in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways and their pastures shall be in all high places. John knows this is in the Bible. He knows this is the book of Isaiah. We know that John knows this part. He quoted from chapter 40. John knows this. The Messiah is supposed to get me out of this. Look at chapter 61. Isaiah 61, in verse number 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Jesus actually read from this when he was in the synagogue. We studied this back in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Watch this part. To proclaim Liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. That's the, what the Messiah would do. John knows this. John knows this. You know what John's doing? He's sitting there in his prison cell. You can come back to Luke chapter 7, and he knows what's in the book of Isaiah. He may not have it in his hand, but he has it in his heart. And he knows, God, you said that the, when the Messiah comes, you would do these things. Why aren't you doing them for me? You know what will rattle your faith? When you expect God to do something for you and He doesn't work on your schedule. He doesn't do what you think He should do. Dr. Ruckman used to say all the time, he said, the problem with some of you is you think you're smarter than God. That's quite a statement, isn't it? You think you're smarter than God. You, the natural reaction to that is, oh, nonsense. Come on, I'm not smarter than God. Nobody thinks they're smarter than God. Sure you do. I do too sometimes. You know why I think that? Because if I were God, I wouldn't do it this way. If I were God, I would fix my problem right away. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Come on, don't lie. Don't sit there smugly. Lie. You, you know you would. If you were God, you'd show up and fix your problems like that, like that. You wouldn't wait. Thing is, God has given us promises, yes. Sometimes we just want God to fulfill those promises faster than He's ready to work. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, 
as some men count slackness. We think, God, you're taking too much time, and God says, I'm right on time. He's never early. He's never late. We're not smarter than God. You know what the plan for John was? Listen to this. I'm talking about your faith getting rattled. I'm talking about you getting to a point where you say, I'm not so sure I want to follow Jesus anymore. I'm t- that's serious. John's asking a serious question. What rattled his faith? False expectations. You're supposed to get me out of the prison. You know what the plan for John was? To die and never make it out of the prison. That's what happened. There's a good chance that the problem you're going through right now may never end. Now you think about that for a moment. You say, but brother Mike, come on. No, no, no. The Bible says that God would what? What did God promise to do? What did God promise? You know what God promised to do for us? That His grace would be sufficient. God promised that He would never allow anything to happen to us that we, by His grace, are not able to bear because He will always make a way of escape. It doesn't say that the temptation or the problem or the disease or the debt or the divorce or whatever that thing is that's got you down and got you rattled, it doesn't mean it goes away. The problem may never go away, but you've got to understand God's grace will also never go away. And say, God, even if you don't get me out of this prison, I'll just keep doing what you told me to do. And I'll keep trusting your grace. Well, Help me to stay faithful to the end. You see, sometimes when our expectations don't line up with God's plan, it can, it can rattle our faith. And, and I don't, listen, I say this with, with trepidation because I'm not going to speak down on John. We're 2,000 years on the other side of the cross, so we can see the whole thing clearly, right? We've seen it play out. But if you're sitting in John's position, I don't fault him for asking the question. My faith would be more than rattled by this point. But the answer to it is to know that, yes, there are promises in the Bible, but make sure that your expectations are not exceeding what is written in the Bible. Knowing exactly what God has promised will help you stay anchored during these rattling times. Let's get verses 21 and 22. The Bible says here, those disciples have come and they've asked Jesus and it says, in that same hour He cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits and unto many that were blind He gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, The deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. Here's the next thing that'll rattle your faith. Failing to fulfill your calling. Again, I want to unpack that a little bit. Failing to fulfill your calling. So just think through this with me. Jesus, when the disciples of John come and say, are you the one? You know what Jesus could have done? Jesus could have said, yes, I'm the one. Now go tell him that. (laughs) He he could have just said that, right? But he didn't. Matter of fact, as best we can see, he didn't even answer directly those disciples. He just stayed busy doing what he was already doing. And then after however long this took, hours, days, whatever it was, 
he turns to those two men, those, those men, however they were, and said, go, go tell John what you've seen and heard. But now wait a minute. You, you, now most, most people, when they read that, they think, well, that's the proof. Jesus gave John some proof to help John believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But John already knew about all these miracles, didn't he? None of this is new information for John. It's not as if John's in prison, hears about what's happened and went, oh, I didn't know that about Jesus. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, never mind. I get it now. John already knew that. Now, I will say this. If God has been working in your life, and then for a while you don't see or feel God working in your life, for that work of God to resume in your life, that can really help your faith. Does that make sense? For some of you, you used to have this hunger and this zeal for the presence of God, and when you read your Bible, when you came to church, you got so much out of it, and you loved talking to other people about your faith and about the gospel, and man, it just stirred you. And I don't know how long you've been in that little metaphorical prison, but you haven't felt the presence of God. And man, it would help your faith so much if God would just stir across the slumbering cords again. So I I can understand and appreciate why Jesus would go and do all these miracles and then say, go tell John what you've seen and heard. That cannot hurt John's faith. I get that. But you know what I think it is? Jesus was not becoming more popular. He was becoming more infamous. And he's telling John, John, it doesn't matter how the other people respond to us. You're in prison. People are accusing me of being full of Beelzebub. That means nothing at all. We're just going to keep doing what God has called us to do. And our faithfulness in difficult times will help us, can I say, tide the storm? So that when faith starts to rattle... If you stop doing what God has called you to do, that could be the end of it. You just have to keep carrying on, even on the bad days, even when you don't feel like it. Listen, the cure for many of your doubts is to just obey regardless of how you feel. How many of you were raised like this? Maybe you had a mom or dad that did this. When, when you were young, maybe you had a brother or sister, and you'd get in a fight. Maybe some of you as parents, you've done this. And, and the brother and sister are fighting, and, the, and mom and dad steps in to break it up, and then they're still clawing and scratching, and the fight's not over, right? But the referee has stepped in and separated them. And then, you know, we turn to the, let's say the young boy, say, hey, 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 you can't do that to your sister. Now go tell her you're sorry. Have you ever met the little boy that went, oh, okay, I'd love to tell her I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't want that. You know, you know, you know how it looks, right? That, that, that little booty goes over there and says, Sorry. And you know what we do? No, no, no. Say it nice. I'm sorry. No, no. Say it like you mean it, right? How many of you had that? You've had to do that? Oh, man. Even in basketball practice, football practice, we get in a fight with one of the other players. The coach would come over and go, go, go shake his hand. Well, shake his hand? I want to hit him in the face again. <laughs> go shake his hand. And coach would make us go shake his hand, and then he said, no, 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 look him in the eye. Look him in the eye. You, you looked him in the eye when you were hitting him. Now look him in the eye, tell him you're sorry, shake his hand. You know why he did that? To make us get along. We didn't feel like doing it. My faith was rattled. 
I didn't want to be on that team. I didn't want to be near that guy. I didn't want to be in the same house with my sister. She got on my nerves. (laughs) But my dad would say, go give her a hug. Oh, (laughs) I want to give her a hug. I'll give her a real tight hug. (laughs) Sink it in deep. (laughs) Real tight hug. I didn't want to do that. When your faith gets rattled and you're angry and you're upset, sometimes you need the Holy Spirit to come in and go, hey, 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 I know you're all worked up and I know you're rattled and I know you don't feel like doing this. Go do it. And then you go do it. And he says, no, 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 no. Have a better attitude. Go do it with a smile. No, no, no. Look up when you're in church. Look the preacher in the eye. <laughs> Look him in the eye. I know you've been talking about him all week. Look him in the eye. <laughs> and you're like, oh, Lord, I don't want to do that. And he says, do it. And, and what will happen is once you do it, as soon as I'd give my sister the hug or shake that ball player's hand, all of a sudden, a lot of that aggression, not all of it, mind you, but a lot of it would just die down, and I'd realize, you know, I'll just forget it. Just, you just move on. Some of you, your faith got rattled. Something happened, and you pulled away from the Lord, and you stopped doing the things you were called to do. And in order to reestablish your faith, to, to get your feet under you again, you just need to go back to doing what you're supposed to do. Let the feeling come later. Obedience and faith are not feeling-based. Do you understand that? We do not believe and we do not obey because we feel first. We believe and obey and then the feelings come from that. Our stability is in our obedience and believing it because Jesus said it. And I believe that's what Jesus is doing for John. John, look. I know it's tough. You had a calling. You've run your race. I have a calling. I'm running my race. I'm not quitting, even though it's tough. John, don't quit just because it's tough. Your faith gets rattled. You don't want to do it. How do you think think Noah felt? 120 years building that ark. You think his faith got rattled a few times? I do. Maybe I'm wrong. But in 120 years and there's no water rising up, no one else is helping him with the building project, I'm sure there was a time or two where he looked up to heaven and said, Lord, really? A boat? Are you sure? Okay, okay, I'll keep building. (laughs) I'm sure there were some times where Moses, I know there were times, Moses at one point said, God, just kill me. I can't deal with these knuckle-headed Israelites anymore. They keep griping all day and all night. God, you feed them with manna, they gripe about it. You pull them out of Egypt, they gripe about it. God, these are the most ungrateful people. God, you read it, Numbers chapter 11. He said, just kill me. God said, Moses, calm down. I'll give you some help. Here's 70 men to help you bear the burden. Moses, now go lead the people. Moses didn't feel like it. But he had to obey. We read in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul, he tried to go to Troas, he knocked on that door, didn't work. He tried to go to Mysia, didn't work. Tried to go to Bithynia, didn't work. And then he had that Macedonian vision. Remember that man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. And the next verse says, Paul, assuredly gathering that God had called him, he straightway went to Philippi. That's the main city in Macedonia. 
assuredly gathering, this is the will of God. Just a few days later, you know where he was? Bound in a prison. (laughs) So what do you do then? Paul, if that would have been me, I would have said, you know what? That vision, I had it wrong. (laughs) I must not have interpreted that dream correctly. I must have eaten too much pizza the night before or something. I don't think I knew the will of God because look where I've ended up. Not Paul. You know what Paul and Silas did? They sang and they prayed throughout the night. So much so that the place started shaking and the jailer comes in later and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know what you do when faith could be rattled? Even if it's rattled, just keep doing what you're supposed to do. How many of you know the name Richard Wormbrandt? Wormbrandt. Wormbrandt. This man was a Romanian pastor back in the 1930s and 40s. In 1948, he was arrested for his faith. He was in a communist country, but he got up and publicly said that communism and Christianity cannot coincide. They they do not live together. They do not work together. And because of that, he was arrested. For 14 years, he was in a prison, solitary confinement, tortured for his faith. You know what he did amongst, he'd pray and he would be tortured, my goodness, the pain that that man felt. To the day of his death, he never walked right. They would, they would beat his feet with rods. Oh, what a story. You know what he would do? To keep his sanity alone in his cell, he would preach. He had memorized lots of verses, so he would, he would quote a verse and then he'd preach out of that verse. And he would preach that sermon over and over again until he memorized every word of the sermon. And as soon as he'd had it all memorized, he'd go to another verse and preach that sermon until he had it memorized in his cell. He did that for almost 14 years. When he came out of prison, he wrote down every sermon he had preached. He had memorized them all. And he said, whenever I would preach, I would picture my congregation in front of me. Even though he could not assemble with the other saints, he still wanted to. So in his mind, he assembled with them. He'd preached to them. You know why? God had called him to do that. And he said, I'm just going to keep doing what God's called me to do. I will fulfill my calling even when it's difficult. I'm sure, I know that his faith got rattled, but he made it through it. He made it through it because he was faithful to that calling. Verse number 23 in our passage, Jesus said, blessed is he, Whosoever shall not be offended in me. What he's saying, that last little bit of encouragement, John is not offended. To be offended means you have stumbled, you have forsaken the faith, you have quit. That is offended. John is not offended. Jesus is giving him one little bit of encouragement to say, John, you've asked a fair question, but you'll be much happier, blessed, you'll be much happier if you don't give up. Jesus acknowledges that he's going through a tough time. Fair enough, John, your faith is rattled. But John, I'm rooting for you, and you'll be much happier if you stick with it. Jesus never promised us that bad days wouldn't come and that doubts would never arise. But he's telling you, you're going to be much happier if you stick with it. Stay faithful. Don't give up on what you know you're supposed to do. Keep on keeping on we know that the adversary the devil right our adversary the devil walks about as a roaring 
lion. Have you ever stood next to a lion when it roars? It rattles you. We, I had a church member take me to a lion farm about an hour, hour and a half up the road. And that, that was a crazy experience. I actually put my, my hand into a lion's mouth. Now that sounds like a great story until you know it was a cub, right? <laughs> a little, but, but then we walked around that lion farm, you know, that big cage. And there were, I don't know, 30, 40 lions in that, in that cage. And it was feeding time. And those lions are moving about. You, know, you guys have seen them. They have these special little entrances so that the guy doesn't get eaten. And uh, wow, I, you see these lions tearing into that stuff. And we started to walk back to the house. The tour was done. And I was walking this direction. A lion roared. And I could feel my chest vibrating. My whole being, but especially I, my, my chest was vibrating because my heart was beating like a hummingbird. <laughs> but when that lion roared, it rattled me. It did. I turned around. I fully expected that that lion would be right behind me, you know, on the, in the fence, but right behind me. I turned around. It was at least 20, 30 meters away. That roar, even from a distance, it got my attention, and it rattled me. It rattled me. We went on a game drive the other day with Brother Tim when he was here, and the game drive, uh, the, the, the tour guide was telling us that you can hear it sometimes, I think he said from eight kilometers away, something like that, a lion roar. That's incredible. Your faith can get, that, that lion, that adversary, the devil, he's got a roar that'll get your attention. But you as a believer have to be listening to the lion of the tribe of Judah who can outroar the other guy. And say, okay, this guy can roar, and yes, rightfully so, I'm rattled. But the Bible says, submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Don't you start running just because he roared. But the fact that you acknowledge, listen, he roared and it rattled me, that just makes you human. Don't feel like you've done anything wrong because you heard the roar and got rattled. But when you turn around and go, oh, oh, oh that's the wrong lion. I'm not going to run when he tells me to run. When my lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, roars, then I run towards that. You'll be much happier, much happier, if you stick with it. Jesus tells Peter, Satan has desired you that he may sift you as wheat. You know what that sifting is? Shake, put you in that sieve and they shake and then they toss it up in the air. That, that's the sifting of wheat. They toss it in the air. You, you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to rattle you. He wants to shake you up. <laughs> Jesus says, Satan's desired you that he may sift you as wheat. And then he says, but I've prayed for you, Peter, that when your faith fails, I've prayed for you that when it fails, after you're converted, you'll strengthen the brethren. He says, I know your faith is going to get rattled, but I know you can make it through it. Peter's response, not me, Lord. That lion couldn't roar loud enough to scare me. Oh, Peter, it could. It could. But the wonderful thing is, even when it does, Jesus will show up a few weeks later and say, hey, Peter, you love me? Peter, I know you got rattled, and that didn't go so well. You love me? You want to keep standing? You want to get involved again? You want to get back to doing what I've called you to do? You want to get all the way in again, Peter? Come on. You love me? You love me more than these? Come on. 
How many of you think Peter, if he could go back and change anything in his life, what one thing do you think he'd change? He'd go right back to that Garden of Gethsemane and say, if I could just go have one night over again, I would never, ever, that night, standing there by that fire, I would not deny the Lord. His faith got rattled. And he didn't stick with it. Blessed is he. Oh, you'll be much happier. You won't regret hanging on to that faith in that tough time. Maybe today you need to redouble your commitment. Redouble it. Say, Lord, I've said it before, but I'm saying it again. I'm all in. And, and some things have happened, and I'm still not quite sure why you let it happen, but I just want you to know I trust you. And if you leave me in this prison and things don't get better, I still love you. And if this is as far as I go, Lord, then it's been a privilege to serve you in this capacity. Perhaps that's your challenge today. Let's all stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll have the pianist come play something for us. Heads bowed and eyes closed. There's some things in this passage that can help us perhaps to avoid having our faith rattled as much, but also to help us if it is rattled. What do I do? You're allowed to ask the Lord, please explain it to me. John did. You can ask. Jesus wasn't upset. Jesus still had high respect for him. Perhaps you need to look in, inward. What have I done to expose myself to a rattled faith? Maybe you haven't been doing all you can to strengthen your faith. What is it that Jesus has been telling you to do? And rather than doing it, you've been making excuses. You know what will strengthen your faith? Go do it. But I don't feel like it. Go do it anyway. And do it with a smile. Just go do it. Even the best of us can have a moment where we get rattled. My prayer is that today the Lord reach down and whisper in your heart and just remind you that He's still with you. Even though the other lion roars, Jesus roars louder. Before I pray, close the service, I just want to remind you, if you're here today and you've never been saved, 
The greatest decision you'll ever make is to give your heart and soul to Jesus Christ because no matter how hard it gets, He'll never quit. He'll never quit on you. He'll just keep right on doing what God has called Him to do, and that is being your Savior. Being a Christian does not mean all of our problems goes away. Being a Christian means that we have a Savior that gives us the grace we need to deal with everything that comes our way. Father, thank you for the encouragement and the reproof that we've received today from the Word. Lord, you know that sometimes our faith gets rattled more than we care to admit. Lord, it is your grace that stabilizes us. It is you being faithful to your word and to your promises. And Lord, help us. Oh, Lord, sometimes we, uh, we get so disappointed. We get our own hopes up. But you've told us what you'll do. You'll give us that grace and that way of escape. Lord, I pray for those in this congregation maybe having a rough time, faith has been rattled. Might this be their day to redouble that faith, to, to ask the questions they need to ask, but then make that commitment firm. Help them, Lord. Help them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank, thank you, folks, for being here. Men, don't forget tonight, 5 o'clock, come with your braai and we'll get to cooking the meat at 5 p.m. <laughs>